You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series on Old Testament characters, now talking about Abraham's wife, Sarah. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. This is Old Testament Premium Podcast number five on Sarah. Sarah, of course, is the wife of Abraham nearly 4,000 years ago. Abraham, pivotal biblical character, along with Moses, David, and Jesus Christ, certainly one of the top four. And yet, half the people in human history, actually more than half slightly, are not men, they're women. And the Bible is full of female characters. And there are a number of significant female characters in Genesis. We talked earlier about Eve, but there there are many others we could discuss. Sarah, Rachel, uh, Rebecca come to mind, uh, Dina, and many, many others. How about Potiphar's wife? There's some interesting characters, some major, some minor. At any rate, this is not a lesson for women. Now, it is a lesson for women. I I hope the, the sisters who are listening here will get something out of it. This is a lesson for everybody. And I hope that the brothers listening to this podcast will be humble enough to accept what the Word of God says in the passage we'll, passages we'll be studying. And we're going to begin with Peter's words in 1 Peter chapter 3, and this will be from the New Revised Standard Version. Wives, in the same way, accept the authority of your husband, so that even if some of them do not obey the Word, they may be won over without a word by their wives' conduct when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Do not adorn yourselves outwardly by braiding your hair, by wearing gold ornaments or fine clothing. Rather, let your adornment be the inner self with the lasting beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in God's sight. It was in this way long ago that the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by accepting the authority of their husbands. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. You have become her daughters as long as you do what is good and never let fears alarm you. The passage speaks of being Sarah's daughters. What does that mean? Well, I think it corresponds to being Abraham's sons. Galatians 3.7 says, So understand that those who have faith are Abraham's sons. In other words, to be descended from Abraham or Sarah is not a biological thing. It's a theological matter. We're not their biological offspring, but their theological offspring. How did ancient women of the faith make themselves beautiful? Well, they focused on the inner life. It's a matter of the heart. They weren't over-invested in outward appearance. Now, you'll see that many women in the Bible did have some outward adornment. I think Peter's point is that, that our beauty shouldn't be coming from the outer. And of course, there's a lesson here for men. Men. Don't overinvest in personal appearance or personality or pizzazz. Physical fitness is important. Of course it is. But spiritual muscle will take us a lot farther in the end than physical muscle will. 1 Timothy 4.8, if you want a reference on that. God looks at the heart. Sarah was submissive. She called Abraham her master or her Lord. It's the same word in the New Testament. She was willing to follow a man of faith. Now, of course, submission does not wholly depend on the faith of the husband, though there are certain limits. That is, 
if you, you're not expected to submit to a madman who tells you to do something crazy or break the law. There are proper boundaries. And we see this, for example, in the relationship between uh, Abigail and, uh, and Nabal in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Fear is the problem here. And where Sarah is commended is in the way that she overcame her fear. Well, what kinds of things are we fearful of? Well, I think we can be fearful of breaking out of our comfort zones. We talked about that in the previous lesson on Abraham, the man of faith. But in the same way, we can be fearful of sharing our faith with strangers, letting people get too close to us, confessing sin, going too deep into the Bible, lest God turn out to be someone we don't want to know. Yeah, I think some of us even hold back because we're afraid of what we might see. We, we can be fearful of aging, of disease, of death, afraid to be single. We can be fearful for our, for our children or fearful for our, for our grandchildren. Some people are afraid to uh, visit the developing world or to be near poor people. We're afraid of crime, financial disaster, afraid of losing control, losing control of our lives or losing control in relationships. And of course, Christians shouldn't be. But sometimes we're even fearful of the judgment day. Sarah was commended for obedience despite fear. And we can see now that these lessons are going to apply to men and women alike. Well, what was it that was so difficult? Where did she need to obey? How did she need to overcome fear? But first, a little bit of background. We see she's born in Genesis chapter 11, near the end of the chapter. And she's married to Abram. This is when her name is still Sarai. And and his name is Avram. And her father-in-law, Terah, had set out for Canaan from Ur, but had stopped in Haran. Okay, there are three cities. Ur, in the Chaldean territory, is a center of polytheism and moon worship. This is where the family was from. Abram's father, Terah, took him and his family towards the promised land, but they didn't go all the way. They stopped in Haran, in Mesopotamia. And so, ultimately, Abraham will be reminded, hey, you're supposed to go to Canaan, to the promised land, and he will go, and Sarah will follow. Lot also accompanied them. Lot is Abraham's nephew. We're going to study his life next time. But what kind of religious background did Sarah come from? Presumably, the same as that of Abraham and Terah and their family. A background of idolatry. How do we know that? Well, I won't take time to read it, but it's in the notes. Joshua 24, verse 2. Sarah was a very beautiful woman. We know that from Genesis 12, verse 11. It's interesting. Ideas of feminine beauty in traditional societies don't always match our own ideas. Sometimes motherly, matronly figures are much more valued than youthful and slim figures. Now, why am I even mentioning that? Because Sarah, in chapter 12, verse 11, is not really that young a woman. She's in her 60s. And some people find it almost impossible. Well, how can that be that that she would be so beautiful and, as we'll see in a moment, taken into a harem in Egypt? What, what was it about her? Well, again, 
Uh, cultures change. Cultural issues are sometimes difficult to discuss, difficult to define biblically. But let me give you a little illustration. One of my recent trips to Africa, I was having dinner with a couple recently married. And the brother had taken his bride back to his village, his home village. And it was her first time there since the wedding. And he told me, with no hint of uh, of sarcasm or irony in his voice, he was talking about how his wife had put on weight. And his father said, he slapped his son on the back and said, you're doing well, look at her, she's getting fat. Now, we, we, in the Western society, we think, whoa, that's the enemy, you don't want to be too big. But no, in most traditional societies today, and certainly in millennia past, if you were eating well and you put on weight, that was a positive thing. To be skinny was a negative thing. That meant that you're a failure or your husband doesn't have any regular work. At any rate, Sarah was a beautiful woman. And yet she had no children. She was barren, to use the biblical word. In the biblical worldview, the man plants his seed in the woman, just like seed in a field. If the seed doesn't grow, and there's nothing assumed wrong with the seed, then the ground is barren. And so I think we need to understand that the, though the stigma was on the women, in biological fact, there were problems with uh, the, the male contribution uh, to conception, just as there may have been problems with the female contribution. That's just in a side note. We don't need to go any deeper in that. But in the Bible, when a, a woman is barren, it could actually be the case that her husband has the problem. Okay, how about that? So Sarah is in a state of shame. It's considered to be a great shame in a traditional society and certainly in biblical society. And you can see this illustrated in chapter 30, verses 1 and 2, where Rachel, that's Sarah's granddaughter, says, Give me children or I die. The prayers of Hannah, desperate for children, First uh, Samuel chapter 1, verse 5. Oh, she begged the Lord, please give me children. Or, to give another example, in Genesis 21, uh, verses 6 and 7. The fact is, Sarah deeply wanted a child. And the promise of a son, and we looked at this in the previous lesson, that when God promised Abraham, I'll make of you a great nation, you'll have a land, and uh, through your descendants, all the world will be blessed. But that promise of a son was greatly delayed. Remember, Sarah is married in Genesis 11 already. In Genesis 12, she has no children. And she will not have her son until she's 90 years old. It's a long delay. It's a 25-year delay. We'll return to that near the end of this lesson. Well, as we read in Genesis 12, verse 5, after the promise to Abraham, he leaves. Sarah goes with her. Maybe she wasn't eager to leave Haran. You know, she had already left Ur. Do you know that feeling? We're moving. No, it's not that feeling. It's we're moving again. We've already packed up. And now... And we unpacked and we got settled and now we're going again. Oh, I think a number of us can relate to this. However, it's often portrayed that Abram and Sarah gave up all their worldly goods and set out for who knows where with, with no possessions 
in a life of utter deprivation, a life of penury, you know, extreme poverty. That is not true. In fact, I'll read in chapter 13, verse 2 of Genesis, Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. Okay, so this man, yeah, he may have pulled up, uh, well, they lived in a house and they traded it for a tent. Okay, they moved. I suppose that's hard, but he didn't leave everything behind. He was still rich. Okay, Sarah was a woman of faith. Sarah overcame fear. How? Because she left Haran for Canaan. She left the place of compromise for the place of promise. In fact, when I look at my notes here, the word compromise contains the word promise, doesn't it? But it's not enough. Yes, Sarah left Haran, but she slipped. And as you study Genesis 12, you see that she actually allowed herself to become part of the harem of the Egyptian king. An amazing thing. Now, again, she's, uh, she's in her 60s. Ideas of of beauty back then are different to ideas of beauty right now. And who's to say who's right? But this actually happens again in chapter 20. She's going to go into a harem yet again. We'll return there soon. You see, Sarah in Genesis emerges as a strong person. Oh, she's got a lot of character. But she's not too strong to compromise. She's not so strong that she doesn't sin. She does. In fact, we see her slipping again in chapter 16. In a moment of weakness, she agrees to have descendants by proxy. What does that mean? Well, I think she's been waiting a long time, and she's feeling, uh, I'm not going to get pregnant. And so I've got an idea. Let's read the first four verses of Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children. She had an Egyptian slave girl whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, You see that the Lord's prevented me from bearing children. Go into my slave girl. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her slave girl, and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife. He went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Yes, in a weak moment, Sarah settles for descendants by proxy. Surrogate motherhood? Now, this is not paying someone else to, you know, to, have, to, to have your egg in her uterus. This is your husband sleeping with this woman and then you have the child? Yes, indeed. Surrogate motherhood was widely practiced in the ancient East from the third Millennium to the first millennium BC, practiced in Babylon and Egypt and everywhere in between. It was completely accepted. Firstly, Hagar became uh, the wife of Abram. She was actually a wife, a secondary wife, but legally a wife. And so the child that she bore was certainly Abraham's child, and it would be legally Sarah's child. Now, here's the crazy thing this was Sarah's idea. Sarai is the one who suggested this. Uh, that's, why, that's why I can say she was slipping in faith. I'm not trying to be uncharitable. It was her idea. But then as soon as Hagar conceives 
And now, you know, because her, you know, now she's going to be a mother. She's married. She's going to be a mother. Sarah's been married a long time, and she doesn't have any children. Hagar starts looking down on her, and Sarah feels the contempt, and it makes her jealous. Now, there's an interesting parallel to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 3, Eve gave the fruit to Adam. He gives Adam, uh, she gives Adam something, and this leads to some big problems. Well, here in chapter 16, Sarah gives something to Abram to compensate for her lack of fruit, biologically speaking. She gives Hagar to, to Abram, and it leads to huge problems. And then she reacts. She gets an attitude. 16.5, Then Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my slave girl to your embrace, and when she saw she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Your slave girl's in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she ran away from her. In other words, because of Sarai's ill feeling, and it seems like jealousy and spite, she drives Hagar away who's now a pregnant woman, drives her away. And, and amazingly, she'll do this a second time, or try to, in chapter 21. But let's continue in chapter 16, verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her, that's Hagar, by the spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave girl of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm running away from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will so greatly multiply your offspring that they cannot be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Now you have conceived and shall bear a son. You shall call him Ishmael, for the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He shall be a wild ass of a man with his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall live at odds with all his kin. So So she named the Lord who spoke to her, You are El Roi, for she said, Have I really seen God and remained alive after seeing him? Therefore, the well was called Be'er Lahai Roi. It lies between Kadesh and Beret. Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Well, why am I taking the time here to focus on this? Hagar is not the subject of our study. But I'm telling you, she could be. In this series, we won't devote a whole lesson to her, but she's quite amazing. She's driven away by her mistress. It says she's on the way to Shur. Now, what does that mean? Shur is a location mentioned in Exodus 15, verse 22. She was an Egyptian, and she's going back to Egypt. She was following the caravan route from Hebron to Beersheba to the Nile Delta. But as she was crossing the desert, there's a very good chance she could have died. Especially as a pregnant woman, uh, any delivery could have been very complicated. So what do we see here? We see many things. I mean, she's told to return and submit to her mistress, and she does. She's actually like the Virgin Mary in her submission. There are some parallels between Hagar and Mary. And then... The Lord gives her some comfort and it says she will have a child and he will live implicitly. Now he's going to be, as it says in the Revised Standard, New Revised Standard, he shall be a wild ass of a man, as in a donkey, with his hand against everyone, everyone's hand against him. 
Uh, many Christians think that, well, since the Muslims identify themselves with Ishmael, this is a prophecy of Islam. I will just say very quickly, it is not a prophecy of Islam. This has nothing to do with Islam. Perhaps in our lesson on Ishmael, we can correct the error further. But uh, So she'll have a son. He's going to be a very strong uh, man. And, and she bears the son. And Abram is 86 years old when Hagar bears Ishmael. In other words, it's 11 years later than it was before. I guess that means Sarai is 76. Well, so far, the father and mother of the faithful aren't looking so good. Notice, the Bible does not dress up its heroes. The terrible effect, potentially fatal effect, that Sarah's ill will uh, may have had on Hagar is not disguised. And of course, there's Abraham in the background. Your slave girls in your power, do to her as you please. He doesn't intervene. He's just, well, let's just keep the peace here. We're going to see that characteristic much more in his son Isaac. Well, let's fast forward 13 years. Still, Sarah has no son by Abram. And Ishmael is 13 years old. I'm in Genesis 17. Verse 15, God said to Abraham, his, not, his name at this time has been changed from Avram to Avraham, and her name is not going to be Sarai much longer. God says, as for your wife Sarai, do not call her Sarai, that's my princess, for Sarah will be her name, which is just princess. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will produce nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell to the ground, laughed, and thought in his heart, can a child be born to a hundred-year-old man? Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? Okay, let me just explain. I said, fast forward 13 years. In that previous incident, uh, Hagar was just pregnant. Well, this time, Abraham is no longer 86 or so. He's, he's virtually 100, and his wife is 90. Now, this is really something. But you see, after all these years of Ishmael and Hagar living in their house, Abraham had become quite attached to Ishmael. He loved him, and he should have loved him. He was his son. And so he says in verse 18, If only Ishmael could live in your presence. Or another translation may say, If only Ishmael could live under your blessing. You see, Sarah despaired of having a child. So <laughs> what happens here? She, she gives Hagar to Abraham for surrogate motherhood. Now, this was Sarah's idea, but it's actually been growing on Abraham. Abraham's thinking, well, Lord, maybe, I mean, he is my son. He's just not Sarah's son. Could you just modify your plans a little bit? I continue in verse 19, but God said, no. Your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son, and you will name him Isaac. Or Yitzchak. I will confirm my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will certainly bless him. I will make him fruitful and will multiply him greatly. He will father 12 tribal leaders and I will make him into a great nation. But I will confirm my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. And when he finished talking with him, God withdrew from Abraham. So God says, Abram, yes, Ishmael will enjoy my blessing. 
he'll become the father of 12 tribes himself, which which in a way parallels the, the Jewish nation with the 12 tribes, that is the 12 sons of Jacob. And so he, he'll have a life, he'll have an impact, but I'll confirm my covenant with Isaac. Ishmael is outside the covenant. Isaac, the son you'll have next year, will be in the covenant. Abraham laughs. This theme will recur. We wonder, though, did Abraham tell Sarah about God's words? Perhaps he told her and she just didn't believe it. Or perhaps he, he didn't tell her. Because in chapter 18... And this is on the eve of the the destruction of Sodom. Abraham hastens into the tent, uh, and this is to to, uh, entertain the divine guests, the angels. And he said to Sarah, make quickly, make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it, make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd, took a calf, tender and good, gave to the servant, who hastened to prepare it, and so forth. Let's go ahead to verse 9. They said to him, where is your wife, Sarah? And he said, there in the tent. And then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. We would just say she's a postmenopausal. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I've grown old and my husband's old, shall I have this pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, Oh yes, you did laugh. (laughs) Well, this is an interesting passage. There's laughter in the passage, plus the humor it brings us. But I'd like to call your attention to the question that is asked in verse 9. Where the heavenly visitors say, where is your wife Sarah? You see, there was another passage. Incidentally, also a verse 9. Chapter 3, verse 9. Abram is not doing right. and the, I mean, Abram. Adam is not doing right. And the Lord says to him in the garden, where are you? Then in chapter 4, verse 9. The Lord says to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And then here in 18 verse 9, where is your wife Sarah? Where is she? Not just where is she. Oh, there she is behind the tent door. I didn't know. She was eavesdropping. No, the real question is where is she spiritually? I mean, she's laughing at the promise of God. You shouldn't do that. That's possible. Abraham had not told her the promise or wasn't able to convince her. This laughter... This somewhat uh, sarcastic laughter or hopeless laughter will change. But we're not done growing. Sarah is still developing. And amazingly, in two chapters, in chapter 20, she goes into a harem a second time. A second time. Abraham passes her off as his sister. It's half true, right? She's his half-sister. And this time it's a Philistine or a harem, the, the harem of Abimelech. And this is though she's pregnant and very old. You gotta understand, this time when she goes into the, the harem, she's pregnant. And she's 90 years old. Now, some people say, well, the age must be wrong. Maybe that's a mistake in the Bible. Maybe there's a different way to read it. Well, maybe there is a different way to read it. But there may be another reason why uh, Abimelech was willing to take Sarah in. 
as a, a concubine, that is, a member of his harem. Because if he married her, it would cement his alliance with Abraham. And Abraham is a powerful man. He's wealthy, has many possessions. And so it may be that her desirability was her marriageability for wealth, um, just as much as her physical appearance. So we might ask, why did she agree to this a second time? A second time, she goes along with her husband and is willing to be taken into a harem. Well, this time... You know, the first time, back in chapter 12, Abraham really has nothing to say. This time, he comes clean more quickly. He even prays for Abimelech because at this point, uh, the Lord had shut, had, uh, had closed the wombs of all the women in Abimelech's uh, household. And, and so he prays for him, and then uh, everything's okay, and the woman can conceive again. But here's the unanswered, unanswered question. Maybe it's an unasked question. <laughs> well, if Abraham prayed for these women... He hardly knew. He prayed for them to be able to bear children. Well, why wouldn't God listen to those prayers for Sarah before? Why wouldn't God answer Abram's prayer? Of course, he is answering his prayer. Sarah is going to have a baby. But all those years, it seems so easy for other people. It's not fair. And then in chapter 21, Isaac is born. 21-2. Sarah conceived and bore Abram a soul in his old age. Let me rewind, except I can't rewind. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to his son whom Sarah bore him. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now Sarah said, God has brought laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, Who would ever have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day Isaac was weaned. Why a great feast? You know, so many children didn't even survive that long. The the age of weaning would have been probably after age two, probably age three. And many children didn't survive that far. So it looks like Isaac, he's going to live. He's made it. Um, you know, he's growing up. This, though, this laughter of Sarah is a laughter of joy, not a laughter of unbelief. It's a laughter of joy, such as in Psalm 126, verse 2, or Psalm 113, verse 9. Now, watch how history repeats itself. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking her son Isaac. Some versions say playing with him, but I don't think that's the correct Hebrew translation. He was mocking her son. And so she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. The matter was very distressing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For it's through Isaac that offspring shall be named for you. As for the son of the slave woman, I will make a nation of him also. Because he's your offspring. And so the Lord gives Abraham some encouragement, repeating essentially what he had said earlier on in chapter, um, in the earlier chapters. Well, Sarah uh, sees the, her teenage stepson, uh, uh, um, Ishmael, making fun of her baby, Isaac. Now, you've got to understand, if Isaac is weaned around age three, then Ishmael is around 16. And, uh, you know, he's, he's in some ways more like an adult than a child. 
Sarah sees him mocking, and this, uh, I mean, the ill will, the animus is, is brought back, rekindled or resurfaces. We don't know exactly what happens, but Sarah just can't take it. And so she says, out, out. And God actually agrees in a way, because, and he tells Abraham, do what Sarah tells you to do. This is one of the very few places in the Bible where the husband is told to submit to the wife. Even though Sarah was very selfish, the, the, the big plan was actually correct. That is, Ishmael would separate. He wasn't the son of promise. The world would not be blessed through Ishmael's descendants. It was through Isaac's descendants. So, in a way, Sarah was right, but the way she went around it was just horrific. So, Abraham rose early in the morning, verse 14, took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she placed the child under one of the bushes. And when she went and sat opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot, for she said, Do not let me look on the death of the child. And she sat opposite him. And she lifted up her voice and she wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come, lift up the boy, hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Well, Sarah has enough. History repeats itself. She drives out Hagar, this time not with her her embryonic son, but with her teenage son. She, She drives him away. Uh, their tears, it's hard, what's going to happen? God speaks, God loves. Even though some people may be outside the covenant, God still loves. This is one of the huge mistakes of the old covenant people of God, thinking that others outside the covenant were really beyond, not only beyond redemption, but beyond the love of God. We tend to do that too as Christians. We'll think, well, God doesn't really care. He doesn't have a relationship with people unless they're Christians. Well, the truth is, God has a relationship with everybody. We're all his offspring in a sense. Maybe it's not a safe relationship, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't care. Not at all. Now, let's move towards a conclusion here. Hebrews 11, verse 11. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was barren, received a power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age. Since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Again, by faith, even Sarah herself, when she was barren, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age. Since she considered that the one who promised was faithful. Here's her faith. She was a person of faith for believing the word of God. Even though she looked like a hopeless case. She was tempted to think she's an exception. I mean, I mean, she's, she, she do, tries the thing with, with Hagar. Uh, she has slipped in her faith at least twice. She's, she's been on the verge of, of, uh, you know, uh, of sleeping with a, a foreign king. She looked like a loser. It looked like the promise wouldn't be fulfilled. She's 90 years old when it happens. And you see, her faith did grow. Oh, she fell in the meantime, but her faith was growing. And that's why the New Testament could commend her. It can commend her for considering the one who had promised to be faithful. Well, in chapter 23, we read the sad verse 2. Sarah died in Kerith Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Because Abraham loved Sarah very much. He mourns, he weeps, and with the typical simplicity and economy of detail, the Bible tells us nothing about it except that he mourned and wept. 
Sarah, the matriarch, uh, the, the mother of the faithful, the faithful women in particular, has now died. We must be daughters of Sarah. Women, we need to trust God. Even when we don't trust others. Even when we're experiencing terrible problems in life. Maybe relationship problems. Maybe we're seeking a husband. Maybe we're dealing with being single. Or we're, we're de- actually deciding to choose the single track for life, which is something commended in the Bible. Or maybe we, t- we want children. We're having problems with that. Or we feel we can't change. We feel trapped. Abram and Sarah are both commended for their faith. But the truth is, and this is clear to any honest reader, they often needed persuasion. Yes, they were commended for faith, but they resisted the Lord just like the rest of us. And that is encouraging to me. Well, what do we learn about God in this podcast? And this is part of every podcast I'm doing in the series. At least two things we see about God as we study the life of Sarah. First, sometimes his plans just happen to coincide with our selfish preferences. For example, when she kicks out Hagar and Ishmael. Well, she was partly right. I mean, the spirit of what she did was really wrong, but it actually was right. And if you look at Genesis 3 and then Gen- uh, Galatians 3 and then Galatians 4, you'll see a very interesting parallel between Hagar and the Jewish people on the one hand and uh, Jesus Christ, uh, the son of Isaac, the descendant of Isaac on the other hand, and the Christians. Secondly, we see that God showers his grace even on those who are fickle in their faith, even on those who take matters into their own hands, which Sarah certainly did as do Jacob and Rebecca and others we'll be studying about. So I think those are two things we learn about God. Sometimes we're being selfish, and what we want is kind of what God wants. His plans just happen to coincide with our selfish preferences. Let's not get the big head. Let's not think that we're God. God's providence overrules our plans. And secondly, he showers his grace on us, even when we're fickle in faith. Future lessons will uh, include more studies of the family of Abraham. Isaac, Ishmael, Rebekah, Jacob, Rachel. Only one of his great-grandsons, and that's Joseph. Although it would be interesting to explore the lives of Reuben, Levi, Judah. But those are some of the family members we'll study. And, but there's one more, and that's Lot. And he'll be the, the, the study uh, in the very next podcast. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's teaching on Sarah. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.